This is Parrot Talk. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com Well, good morning. It is the 16th day of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Happy Monday morning. Lots of talk over the weekend about the United States getting involved in this whole Israel-Gaza Strip extravaganza in the Middle East. This is Paratalk here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be. And I am here to let you know that the Marine Corps has exceeded its enlistment goal by 21 people. So we are good to go, ladies and gentlemen. This is Military Times over the weekend. The Marine Corps once again met or slightly outperformed its goal for recruiting across all major categories in the past fiscal year, according to recruiting numbers released Thursday to Marine Corps Times. It was the only branch, besides the Space Force, which I'm not even sure that we count them, to hit its recruitment targets by October 1st, the end of the federal government's fiscal year. The rest of the DoD has struggled to attract qualified young people. Commandant of the Marine Corps, his name is General Eric Smith. He quotes... I'm mindful of how challenging an environment this is and want to publicly give credit to our professional recruiters and all our Marines who uphold our rigorous standards 24-7. Well, let's talk about those rigorous standards, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I want to talk about the rigorous standards that we have in our armed forces and whether or not we're truly ready to meet out a ground war, again, in the Middle East or elsewhere. Military Times, October 13th, that's Friday, quote, nearly 70% of active service members are overweight. Nearly 70% of the active duty service members, these are people who are paid professionals. These are folks who raise up their right hand and say, I want to serve my nation. I want to put it all on the line against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And yet, three out of four of them, or at least more than two-thirds of active duty service members, are overweight. They are either within the, quote, overweight or obese ranges of the BMI, Body Mass Index, according to a report by the American Security Project released last Thursday. The obesity rate, okay, this is this is using a person's age, height, and weight, has more than doubled over the past decade from 10% to 21%. More than half of young Americans now qualify as obese, and that's the number one disqualifier for recruiting prospects. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a real problem in this country. Uh... If you were to listen to some congressional testimony by some high-ranking officer, he would categorize this as a quote-unquote readiness problem. That's what they would say in front of Congress. We have a readiness problem. Readiness. Readiness is defined as, is a unit deployable? Can you take the unit right now, stick them on an airplane or a boat, and send them overseas to fight? What are all the things that have to happen for a unit to be ready? Well... One of the first and foremost things is that the unit has to be physically healthy. Physically healthy. Uh, That means up to date on all of your vaccinations, including the flu shot. 
You got to have clean teeth. You don't want to die of gum disease while you're in combat. You got to have uh, uh, your physical tests all done. You have to be physically screened. You have to have completed your living will and testament, have a plan for your demise, uh, for your family, have your insurance all up to date, uh, have a family care plan, who's going to take care of your kids if you don't return. Um, notice I haven't said anything tactical yet. And notice I haven't said you have to have your weapon, your weapon system zeroed out, ready to go. You got to have some ammunition. You got to have some uh, tactical acumen. The unit is supposed to, prior to deployment, conduct pre-deployment training as a unit. Oftentimes, you know, so people don't know this who are outside of the military, it's a transient organization. You know, people are moving every two to three years into different jobs, sometimes even more frequently than that. So when a unit goes to war together, oftentimes it's a collection of people who have only served together for a period of time of like, you know, as little as six to eight months, or at most two years. So the unit needs to train together, it needs to breathe together. People need to understand who's who, who does what, how the unit functions. So it's called PTP, pre, uh, pre, uh, I'm not sure what that stands for actually. Pre-deployment training essentially is where you do tactical exercises. Sometimes out in the middle of the desert where you're shooting live fire exercises, you're maneuvering as a whole unit, you're uh, functioning as a uh, as a single unit. You're employing things called combined arms. So you're calling for fire. You need to be able to, as a unit, call in indirect fire onto a target while you're also suppressing it with direct fire weapons. You want artillery and air to strike the enemy while you are suppressing them directly with direct fire weapons. Um, that's called uh, combined arms. And to do that is a very specialized skill set. So we're not even talking... When you talk about readiness, look, when, when you send a unit into combat, you want the unit to fight and win. You don't send them there to just chill out at the uh, commissary and, and uh, eat ice cream in, in Afghanistan. You want them to fight, close with, destroy the enemy. Locate, close with, destroy the enemy, period. That's why we go to war. That's the purpose of a military. We can't even locate, close with, and destroy the enemy because we are too fat. We are too obese. We are eating too many calories. We are destroying our bodies with chemicals. I would propose to you, ladies and gentlemen, that this has less to do with caloric intake and quote-unquote laziness, even though I do think that a lot of active-duty troops are lazy. And it has something else. It has something else going on. There's something involved in what we are putting in our bodies, in how our bodies are interacting with the physical world that is making us less and less healthy. Less than one out of five young people in the United States of America are even physically qualified to join the armed forces of the United States to fight. We have one of the smallest standing armies now than we, that, than we have ever had. Uh, I was around during the Obama drawdown. You know, people, uh, people during the Great Recession, I had people tell me, oh, you're so lucky you're, you're active duty in the Marine Corps. You have job security. 
Um, well, excuse me. To make it through the first portion of officer candidate school, there was a one in two failure rate. To make it through the second portion of officer candidate school, there was a one in two failure rate. So what's one half times one half? That's one quarter. Just to graduate and become a lieutenant, you had to be in the top 25% of the officer candidate school. And that took years even to get to OCS. Then once you're on active duty, during the Obama drawdowns, they had what's called career retention, whether or not they were going to retain the young officers. And right around the time you were uh, in zone to be selected for captain, so you go from second lieutenant to first lieutenant to captain, uh, you automatically are promoted from first lieutenant to second lieutenant after however many months, 24 months, whatever it is. So you automatically become a first lieutenant, but then you compete for what's called career designation. And this is a national board where they take all the first lieutenants in the whole country, take all their performance evaluation reports, they take all of their assignments, they look at the pictures of them, they look at their physical performance, they look at their martial arts, their shooting, uh, their marksmanship, their, their, their everything. And about 40% of us were career designated. The other 60% were asked to leave active duty and head to the reserves. So during the Great Recession, to even maintain an active duty status as an officer in the Marine Corps, you had to be in the top 25% just to get through OCS, and then you had to be in the top 30% of that. What's 25 times 30? You, I mean, you, you had to be basically a top 10% person to, to continue to exist while wearing the uniform. Now, I know it was tough out there in the uh, economy at large during the Great Recession. I know that people lost their jobs and um, their houses. Um, the mortgage-backed security crisis was a big deal. Um, I know that, you know, there was an unemployment rate that shot up to as high as 10%, 15%. That is nothing in comparison with the difficulty during that time of remaining on active duty. Fast forward to today. Under the Biden regime, we now have one in three uh, uh, soldiers, sailors, Marines, who are not fat. Why is everybody fat? Why does everybody have a readiness problem? You've heard, maybe you haven't heard, but I've heard congressional testimony wherein the military officers who are uh, testifying in front of Congress say things like, we have a readiness problem. We cannot field certain number of people into combat. We just can't. Um, this is a big problem because... Not because I think that we should or even that we're going to put boots on the ground in the Middle East, but because the conflict in the Middle East very likely is going to have third order effects, fourth order effects around the world. This portion of Paratalk is brought to you by the Epoch Times. Subscribe today, watch their new docufilm, No Farmers, No Food. Will you eat the bugs? Subscribe today through the Crusade channel for $1 off your first month by going to crusadechannel.com forward slash epoch. That's E-P-O-C-H.
CH. Well, what else do we have in the stack here? Henry Kissinger is 100 years old, and he has some thoughts on Hamas and the attacks and the fallout. Specifically with respect to Germany. You know, Kissinger is a Jew, 100-year-old Jew. He was very famously the Secretary of State for the Kennedys. And he says, It was a grave mistake to let in so many people of totally different culture and religion and concepts because it creates a pressure group inside each country that does that. The 100-year-old ex-top American diplomat said in an interview with Axel Springer CEO Matthias Dopfner for Germany's Welt TV. German-born Kissinger, who fled Nazi Germany with his family in 1938 and went on to become the architect of American foreign policy during the Vietnam War, said that it was painful in response to a question about seeing Arabs in Berlin celebrating last week's uh, assault on Israel. Um, Kissinger, German-born Jew, supposedly uh, escaped the Holocaust, top American diplomat, architect of Vietnam. I'm not sure that I would want that on my headstone. He should be thinking about his headstone, by the way. I mean, his headstone's coming up. And... If it were me, I would try to find some other legacy... I do find it interesting, though, that this alt-left Henry Kissinger, German Jew, is saying that Germany let in too many of the wrong types of people. They let in a bunch of Muslims. They let in a bunch of scholars and terrorists. Uh, I want to say that Germany let in more than 2 million Syrian refugees. Remember the Syrian thing? Remember the remember the red line that Obama drew out? Uh, remember uh, that we were going to do something about it when there was gas used on citizens and then we weren't going to do anything about it after all? Kissinger, quote, The Middle East conflict has the danger of escalating and bringing in other Arab countries under the pressure of their public opinion. Kissinger warned while pointing to the lessons learned from the 1973 Yom Kippur War, during which an Arab coalition led by Egypt and Syria attacked Israel. The real goal of Hamas and its supporters, quote, can only be to mobilize the Arab world against Israel and get off the track of peaceful negotiations, Kissinger said. This article has been updated to make clear that Kissinger was a Jewish refugee. We have to include that in our political article, otherwise it's just not fair. Why, why do we even care about Kissinger's um, opinions? Well, he's a Jewish refugee, and this is a Jewish thing, so he's got all the credibility. Let's interview the 100-year-old architect of the Vietnam War. House of Representatives Jim Jordan is now running for the speakership. It looks like he has clinched the nomination, and he's just a few votes away from uh, from getting the gavel. Uh, how many votes does he have currently as of this broadcast? I'm not sure. Uh, he did earn 124 votes to win the nomination uh, late on Friday. 
Not sure what's happened over the weekend. Looks like sometime this week he may end up prevailing. Jim Jordan was the Trump selection for Speaker of the House. You know, all all of the media from MSLSD and onward, they were making fun of Trump, openly making fun of Trump, when Steve Scalise was the nominee for a short time period last week. Oh, how devastating and embarrassing it is for Donald Trump that his choice, Jim Jordan, did not get nominated. This is proof that Trump is losing power in the Republican Party. Will they eat their words? Will they issue retractions? Will there be apologies? Will they say, just kidding, we don't know what we're talking about? I don't think so, ladies and gentlemen. We are not going to see them ever admit to making a mistake. The mainstream media are a bunch of buffoons, clowns, liars, and frauds. Uh, So they'll take any pot shot against Donald Trump. Uh, As you know, I am not a huge supporter of Donald Trump, but I do try to call it fair, and his treatment over the Jim Jordan thing was not fair. I am still holding my breath, waiting for CNN to come out and say, congratulations, Donald Trump, you got your guy, or at least he's about to get his guy. There doesn't seem to be anybody else in the Republican caucus besides Jim Jordan who's going who's gonna to take this up. Scalise stepped aside when it was clear that some of the hard writers were never going to back him. And, um, and I think that was smart. Um, Jim Jordan is as close as Scalise was. Jim Jordan is as close as, uh, well, as anyone. Uh, we will see if he can get to his final count or not. I hope that that does happen this week. It is a little embarrassing. Look, it's embarrassing that we don't have a Speaker of the House, third in line to the Presidency of the United States, while there's war in Eastern Europe, war in the Middle East, and it's not like China is backing down. Hey, I do want to talk about Hezbollah um, and Russia on the back end of this break. So don't go anywhere. This is Parrot Talk here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the show. This is Mike Parrott, your host of Parrot Talk every single day here on the Crusade Channel, Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. As always, this is Live Talk Radio the way it should be, always on air, always online. Go to crusadechannel.com slash parrot, P-A-R-R-O-T-T, if you are so inclined. This portion of the show brought to you by the Founders Trading Post. Go to shop.mychurch.com. And at least get yourself a copy of one of the John Sr. books. John Sr. is making a huge comeback. In fact, I would argue he may be more popular in his death than he ever was in his life. And he was pretty darn popular when he was alive. Check out The Death of Christian Culture. Buy it at shop.mychurch.com. Get it from the Founders Trading Post. This is one of the most important books, I think, written in the last hundred years, and I don't say that lightly. All right, let's talk about Russia for a second. Russia was a member of the United Nations Security Council. 
uh, and they continue to be, but they also were a member of the United Nations Human Rights Council. Russia, human rights, that seems to make sense. They were booted last year from the United Nations Human Rights Council, and their bid to rejoin this year was just quashed in what is being called an unprecedented display of unity amongst member states. Well, what does this mean? This means that some other nation is going to join the UN Human Rights Council in place of Russia. I want to say that at some point North Korea was on the UN Human Rights Council. Um, so f- for whatever legitimacy this this Human Rights Council could possibly have, uh, Moscow has been kicked out of the council since last year. Uh, supposedly, as quote-unquote evidence began to emerge of considerable human rights violations, only a few months after the start of the conflict. Um, it looks like Russia... Now, this is a secret vote for who gets to be on the council. This article is written in a style where it's like poking the eye of Russia. This is a huge loss to them. This is embarrassing, unprecedented... Um, they're, they're going to be, will they ever recover? Will they ever recover? Um, it's written by the British, uh, publication. (sighs) What is this thing? Express. And, uh, it says, quote, the continued suspension of Russia rightly signals strong condemnation against an unlawful aggressor in a country which routinely disregards its own people's freedoms. This is welcomed as a positive step for the international community. But it's not enough. Um, Russia was competing against Albania and Bulgaria for the two seats on the Geneva-based Human Rights Council, representing the Eastern European Regional Group. So it's Russia, Albania, or Bulgaria up for the seats. In the secret ballot, Bulgaria got 160 votes. Albania got 123 votes. Russia only 83 Russia's claiming that uh, it was a United States-led coup, um, it's, it's, that it was the United States running around trying to convince people to vote against Russia, and uh, they called it, quote, the main phobia of our American colleagues today is electing Russia to the Human Rights Council. Uh, besides the fact that this Human Rights Council doesn't do anything or add any value to your life whatsoever, um, I do just find it interesting and hilarious and hysterical, A, that it exists, uh, because nobody on the United Nations Human Rights Council can even define what a human right is. These people are absolutely uh, insane. Um, these people are uh, cannot find a natural right if it smacked them in the face. So the idea that anybody in the United Nations, either in Albania or in Bulgaria or in Ukraine or Russia or anywhere else on planet Earth with respect to the United Nations can define what a human right is, is laughable. As Pope Pius X has said, uh, and I think he's the greatest of the modern era, we have heard quite enough about the so-called rights of man. Let us now hear about the rights of of God. I think that this is um, 
this is telling. You know, the, the alleged rights, human rights, that the United Nations Human Rights Council will have discovered all involve uh, the perversion of young children, uh, the feminization of a society, the breakup of, a, of the family, the destruction of innocent human life. So these are all the human rights that they have discovered. Um, they've discovered grooming and abortion and divorce and pornography, of course. They've, they've discovered all of the errors and, and ills that would destroy a, a society. Um, and these alleged human rights that they have discovered and advocate for um, are uh, exported throughout the uh, planet from the United Nations. And I actually think it's better that uh, Russia is not on that council because some of those errors... Now, Russia is very pro-abortion, um, but some of those errors, like with respect to the grooming and some of the other stuff, Russia's not on board with. They they haven't they haven't discovered the uh, the right to uh, uh, destroy the purity of children. So um, I think it's apropos actually that Russia stand aside and not participate in any way uh, in in this stuff. It looks like the Iran backed Hezbollah terror group is now fully prepared to join the war against Israel. Um, over the weekend, Hezbollah terrorists pledged to join Hamas forces against Israel when the time comes for action. Leaflets have been dropped in Gaza, warning more than one million citizens to evacuate the northern region as Israel's military is gearing up for a significant deployment there. Now, for context, I, I, was, I was Googling over the weekend the size of Dallas, Texas, okay, Geographically, Dallas, Texas uh, is a similar size uh, in terms of this, the raw city limits to um, the Gaza Strip. And population-wise, Dallas, Texas has 1.2 million people. Um, the northern Gaza Strip has about 1.1 million people. So they're pretty comparable. I want to run by you. I mean, just... just you tell me if you think that this sounds fair and reasonable and actionable on behalf of our, our staunchest allies in the Middle East, our Jewish friends. Um, 1.1 million people have been given a certain number of hours to evacuate the northern Gaza Strip because it will be reduced to rubble um, thereafter. Now, this evacuation of the northern Gaza Strip is supposed to occur effective immediately and without freeways, major roads, without transport, without electricity and water bottles. And oh, by the way, all those hospitals where you have critical patients, you have to evacuate the, the hospitals. Why? Because the Jews plan to bomb the hospitals too. Um, you have eight hours. Go. Can you imagine taking a metropolitan area like Dallas, Texas, deleting the freeways, deleting the transport, deleting the infrastructure, life-supporting infrastructure like water and electricity, and saying, you have 24 hours to evacuate Dallas, Texas. 
What would that look like? Where would those people go? Would they go to Fort Worth? Can Fort Worth take in 1.2 million people? How about Houston? How about Austin? How about Oklahoma City? Can they take in 1.2 million people? And where would those people be housed? And how will they eat? And do they even know anybody on the other side? This is an ethnic cleansing. It's a genocide, which we're witnessing as a world. We're standing by and we're witnessing it. You know, some of you maybe have wondered in world history, how is it possible that empires have ever really gotten away with a genocide? You know, you look at genocides and you're like, how'd you, how'd you pull that off? That's pretty, pretty slick there, sir. Well, this is how. With the, the genocides usually occur with the masses cheering, cheering the genocides. And that's what we're witnessing in northern Gaza um, as we speak. It needs to be said that not all Palestinians are members of Hamas. Not all Palestinians are Muslim. In fact, a very significant portion of Palestinians are Christians. And so what we're, what we're facing down right now, what we're looking at, is a cleansing of Christians happening in the Middle East. The Jews are displacing Coptic Christians. Some of them are in communion with Rome, some of them are not. But these ancient Christian communities go all the way back to the beginning. The Jews are killing Christians in Palestine. And we are cheering them on. You know, not every Jew is a Zionist. Not every Jew is, is an is a Israeli supremacist. Not every Jew believes that the state of Israel must exist and expand continually and be the center of the spiritual universe. But here's the scary part. Not every Zionist is a Jew. There is such a thing as a non-Jew Zionist, a Christian Zionist. And that, ladies and gentlemen, comes to us from the Protestants. I talked about this last week. And again, I know that some of you out there in Crusaderville are good practicing Protestants, and you have had different experiences than this. I know that that ranting and raving lunatic that I played for you last week uh, we got to get shoot that great great big missile off that hill so we could get that temple built in usher in Jesus. I know that some of y'all may have had different experiences in your evangelical Protestant experience. And that's fine. But by and large, however, nevertheless, notwithstanding, Christian Zionism must be confronted. It must be called out for what it is. It must be destroyed. Christian Zionism is a warmongering ideology which stresses the importance 
of the Jewish state in Israel, the physical boundaries of the Jewish state, uh, against all other competing values. In other words, Christian Zionism believes that Jewish Israel must exist or else God cannot work his miracles. It proposes that human activity is required for salvation history to come about. Now think about this. Seriously, think about this. One of the things that my evangelical Protestant friends all constantly say is that God is sovereign. Sovereignty of God. God owns this and that. And God is sovereign. He needs no help from man to do anything. And that's why the Catholics are going to hell. Because they do this hocus pocus and they bring God onto the altar. Well, God doesn't need a man to come onto the altar. He's sovereign. He can do anything. He can do whatever he wants. We cannot limit the actions of God to the actions of man. Okay, if that's true, why do you suppose then that God requires that mankind maintain a physical border around this nation state which we invented in the 40s called Israel? Does God require that we have an, an Israeli parliament? Does God require that Israel have a prime minister? Is the second person of the Blessed Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, is he the king of kings or is he the prime minister of prime ministers? Is he the, is he the speaker of speakers? Is he the senator of senators? You see, the Christian Zionist understanding of politics and salvation history are intertwined with each other in the same grave error. The Christian Zionist imagines that Enlightenment political philosophy is the correct Christian political philosophy. In other words, the family is not the basic building block of society. It is the individual. The individual pulls himself up by his bootstraps. Everybody has a natural right to vote. Um, all the retards out there, and yes, I said retards, all of the brain donors have an equal say, along with you and I, with how money gets spent, who goes to war, etc., etc., etc. It is egalitarian, which is insane, and was condemned by the church in the strongest of terms. It was laughed at. The United States way of life, our political formation, was laughed at, mocked, challenged, condemned by the eternal magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and yet, Enlightenment philosophy has become intertwined with this Christian Zionist notion that says, we human beings must participate in the defense of the nation state of Israel with a prime minister and a, and a parliament and whatever else, so that, so that the sovereign God can return in the second coming. Let alone the error that I told you about last week, where they truly do believe that there are two ways to heaven. 
there's the original way, let's say the old way, which is just be a Jew. Jews go straight to heaven because they're God's chosen people. And then I guess the new way, the new covenant. All right, so if you can't be a Jew, I guess you could be a Christian. I don't even know. I, I've been in an ongoing discussion with a close family member who is a Christian Zionist. And what it has revealed is that this man worships Jews. He doesn't worship God. He worships Jews. That fundamentally is Christian Zionism. And the evangelical Protestants, especially in the United States, to some degree also venerate and worship Jews. They are the chosen people. They need to be around. God cannot perform his miracles without them. They are somehow required for the unfolding of salvation history. They have their own unique path to heaven. They don't need to be evangelized. They don't need to be converted. What they need to be what needs to happen is we must militarily, financially, politically, diplomatically, socially support them. You cannot name any of their sins. You cannot point to anything that they do that is collectively or individually wrecks our society or our way of life because that is anti-Semitism. You are not allowed to criticize their behavior, their politics. You are not allowed to criticize this ethnic cleansing that they are undertaking in the northern Gaza Strip. Out of the 1.1 million people, how many hundreds of thousands of Palestinian Christians will have their lives destroyed, their churches burned, their family members maimed and killed, their way of life extinguished, all in the name of Christian Zionism. It is an evil which must be confronted. It must be called out. We have to cleanse our country from Christian Zionism as quickly as possible. And when you see it cropping up, when the Lindsey Grahams and the Nikki Haley's and the Ronda Sanctimoniouses and the Donald Trumps stand up for Israel and advocate Christian Zionism, we must reject it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is Paratalk here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be, Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. It means the world that you tune in, and I do so look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Have a great Monday, God bless you, and take care. This is Paratalk. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. Restoringthefaith.com.